Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Let me be explicit. Right now, in this podcast, there's some explicit language. It's Wednesday, July 18th, 2018. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. And the Girl Scouts have new badges. We've spoken about this before. Now you can earn a badge in environmental advocacy, mechanical engineering, robotics, computer science, space exploration, and cybersecurity. Yes, cybersecurity. I was sounding like a trade school there for a second, wasn't I? Cybersecurity. You know, I know the Girl Scouts are usually in favor of enabling cookies, perhaps not these cyber-aware young ladies. Is that, is that funny or is that just a little too obscure for a horrible local newscaster funny? I'll let you decide. The badge in cybersecurity, there are a few badges at a few different levels. So badge one is cybersecurity basics. And that's where they teach you that a 400-pound guy sitting on his bed could not, in fact, disrupt the U.S. election. Then there is badge two, which is cybersecurity safeguards, where you learn that asking where are the servers over and over again makes you sound insane. And then there is badge three, the highest level cybersecurity investigator, where they test you to earn this badge. They test the Girl Scouts on questions like, I would use an unsecure smartphone if I were leader of the free world, or I wouldn't use an unsecure smartphone if I were he. And they see if you know the difference between would and wouldn't. Yes, many 16-year-old girls will now be far more advanced and credentialed than the most powerful man on earth. Well, not the most powerful man on earth, but the guy that the most powerful man on earth gave a soccer ball to. I'm talking about Donald Trump. I like the badges, like the idea. I do take issue with this part of the press release. It's at the bottom where they tell you who the organizations are, and it says Girl Scouts of the USA. We're 2.6 million strong. 1.8 million girls and 800,000 adults who believe in the power of every girl. Now, girl is spelled with dots in between, so it's initials, G-I-R-L, and they say every girl stands for go-getter, innovator, risk-taker, leader, which should be g-girdle. I believe in the power of every g-girdle. What, are you just going to forget the taker? And you're going to do the double G and think that I'm supposed to think it's only a single G? Come on, Girl Scouts. You can believe in the power of girls, but don't try to snow me. That spells out G-Girdle. No merit badge and acronyms for you. On the show today, inside Vlad Putin's less than compelling denials... 
that he is Donald Trump in his little pocket. But first, two big media companies are set to merge, but the FCC is throwing up roadblocks, which is weird since one of the companies, Sinclair, is a bunch of big Trump supporters and in fact a landing pad for former Trump staffers. What is going on? NPR's David Folkenflick is here to tell us. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Even though the man at the top sucks up all the oxygen, there are many other branches of the executive that are doing their job, which isn't to say not sucking. But a very interesting story concerning the FCC caught my eye, the Federal Communication Commission. They are in charge of overseeing television mergers, for instance. And we have a case where Tribune Media, which are the TV stations owned by the once great Chicago Tribune Company, are to be acquired by an outfit called Sinclair broadcasting. Now, maybe you live in a market with Sinclair broadcasting. A lot of people do. Or maybe you remember this clip of Sinclair Station simultaneously singing the praises of Donald Trump. Hi, I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to, to serve, serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso, Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we, we are concerned, concerned about trouble and trying to be responsible one-sided news stories. So Sinclair is pro-Trump. The FCC is an executive branch agency. And yet the head of the FCC, a Trump appointee, has thrown up some roadblocks in front of this merger. And I'm wondering why. And maybe you will be too. Or maybe not, if this interview is successful. Who better to talk to than NPR's David Folkenflick, who covers media for NPR. Hello, Mr. Folkenflick. Mr. Pesca. <laughs> so before we get to this case, Sinclair and Trib, let's look at another one. Time Warner and AT&T. There was a merger there. The Trump Justice Department opposed it, but they lost in court, did the Justice Department. What was the Trump administration, or at least their Justice Department's theory of that case? Failed theory, we should add. Their failed theory was that this was too much accumulation of power and of consolidation in the media industry, even acknowledging for the fact that AT&T, an enormous telecoms company, a satellite TV provider, to modest extent streamer, and Time Warner, which has all this content that AT&T wants to stream through its tubes, that they essentially don't currently compete hardly at all. And that, you know, typically uh, monopolistic concerns are stirred by companies consolidating that are in the same business. For example, the FCC opposed the proposed merger of AT&T and T-Mobile because they were in many ways in a lot of the same business. In this case, they said, no, too big is too much. And even though it had been essentially since the 1970s where this kind of vertical merger had been opposed by the Justice Department in this way, a vertical merger being a merger of complementary companies as opposed to competing companies, but in basically the same field. 
Justice Department went for it. And it was very hard to interpret that opposition in the complete absence of uh, candidate Donald Trump's opposition to the deal in which he linked it to Time Warner's ownership of CNN and to the performance of CNN, which he kept denouncing uh, on the campaign trail. The judge in the case banned any discussion of that, saying it's not relevant to the case at hand. And he denied the government's uh, you know, position on what he said was its merits. But you know that, that was a shadow that loomed over the entire case from the outset. It seemed as though it was a fairly illogical case for the antitrust chief, a respected lawyer, I must say, by people on both sides to bring. But he did bring it. And not only did he bring it, he decided, even though the judge's ruling was completely sweeping and said to the, you know, to the government, we're not even going to make any real conditions for this uh, acquisition. We're just saying, go ahead. It's fine. Yeah. AT&T's lawyers afterwards said, we demolished the Justice Department. <laughs> they bragged. They did a spike in the end zone afterwards. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they're, they're you know, in, in your cartoon imagination, you should <laughs> see pictures of AT&T lawyers and lobbyists, uh, you know, lighting thousand dollar bills and setting yeah. them on fire. My cartoon imagination is informed by Roadrunner and uh, many other properties owned by Time Warner. So, <laughs> so let us, with that, understanding that and understanding that Donald Trump's personal opinions and animus might have been at play. I think it's interesting to look at Sinclair and its acquisition of some of these Tribune properties. Tell us a little bit about Sinclair because you've done a lot of reporting on them. You know, I first started covering media in 2000 for the Baltimore Sun. Sinclair Broadcast Group is and was based in Baltimore County. It's a publicly traded company, but it's really controlled by the Smith brothers, the Smith family there, David Smith, its leading figure. And back then I was like, wow, that's a really big company. They, they control more television stations than any other in the country. I believe at the time it was 42 and, and you know, got up to controlling 60 with a couple of uh, deals on the side. Now they, they own and control more than 190 and they're looking to add 42 from Tribune Media, the, the entertainment TV side spinoff of the old Tribune company based in Chicago. And this deal would allow them to have a footprint in the nation's two largest markets, New York and Los Angeles. And also under revised proposal today, Sinclair would take full ownership of WGN, uh, which used to be called the Superstation, based in Chicago. So, you know, essentially in these major markets, Sinclair, which built up an empire of local news, would add this enormous footprint and also saying it would uh, sell off a couple of stations in Texas. You know, the, the compliment issue to this is Sinclair has been quietly building up what is effectively a conservative news empire. Some of their local stations do very good no local news reporting in Baltimore. I thought WBFF in some ways was best of show in terms of thoughtful, comprehensive news coverage. But you know, I think it's fair to say they don't just put a thumb but a fist on the scale when it comes to politics at many occasions in certain kinds of must-run programming that all of their stations have to convey. Exceptionally pro-Trump in what they do, very conservative uh, Republican family. And, you know, in this instance, it's sort of a back route to creating a network uh, through building up through these local stations. The amount of consolidation in this industry is extraordinary. But, you know, the very guy who announced this uh, decision to try to gum up the works of the deal, Ajit Pai, the head of the FCC, was the one who essentially, uh, it seems, rewrote and pushed through revisions of uh, regulations to make this deal possible in the first place uh, in 2017. You could hardly imagine a more embracing figure atop the FCC for Sinclair's interests or a more embracing administration to offer you know, a receptive uh, welcome to Sinclair's expansion ambitions. Right, right. And let's, let's also point out this wasn't only a one-way love fest from Sinclair towards Trump. Trump administration officials and Trump campaign officials worked with Sinclair 
declare specifically a hand in glove. Yeah, there was, a, you know, Politico, I believe it was first reported about a deal uh, struck with Sinclair to offer a lot of FaceTime with Trump uh, campaign figures, I believe brokered by Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and advisor as a way of ensuring that voters in Sinclair markets, uh, which include a lot of markets now, but also especially in a lot of swing states, uh, had a steady drumbeat of rather straightforward and at times gentle interviews there. Sinclair official Scott Livingston, the news director who oversees uh, news uh, policy for the chain, told me that they made the same offer to Hillary Clinton and that Clinton take them up on it. But Sinclair has been so reflexively sympathetic to conservative Republicans, so hostile to the Clintons and to Democrats in not just commentaries, but analyses uh, and in public affairs programming that they, you know, the Clinton camp didn't trust it and didn't really want to play. Yeah. So because of this relationship between Trump and Sinclair, that's why I found the story fascinating that the chairman of the FCC, Ajit Pai, a Trump appointee and a Trump believer and acolyte, is the one, the FCC is the one, perhaps surprisingly, who is objecting to this merger. Can you help me understand this? Well, let's look at this in a couple of different ways. Uh, I was asked uh, yesterday, I think it was, uh, you know, well, is this just Rupert Murdoch and uh, Trump essentially uh, throwing a curveball at uh, what could be a a nascent competitor to Fox? Uh, Sinclair denies it, but it has some national ambitions. It's launching a a news streaming service that will probably take on a conservative tenor to it as well. That would be in some ways a challenge to Fox. But, you know, Fox was going to go into business with Sinclair. That is, Sinclair was going to spin off. Off, I think seven stations and sell them to Murdoch's uh, 21st Century Fox. So in a sense, you know, Fox both would gain and lose by the knocking down of this deal. Ajit Pai, I think it's worth noting, probably recognized the dissonance, even though the FCC is an independent agency of allowing this to go through so readily. And yet the Justice Department also was working so hard to block what was not a competitor gobbling up a competitor, but two complementary companies joining forces, as you just pointed out, AT&T and Time Warner. And so I think there's that dissonance there. But I also think you cannot rule out the personal peril, at least professionally, that Pi himself is in, because the inspector general of the FCC is currently investigating Pi for his role in changing the regulations so dramatically to aid uh, Sinclair in ways that seem to defy the way in which modern technology works. Basically, it involved giving Sinclair credit for what are called UHF stations. Back in the day, those were stations with weaker signals and basically saying that doesn't count as much as uh, VHF stations. Those were the old ABC, NBC, CBS stations in local markets. It's a technical thing, but basically it's discounting how many stations Sinclair is actually picking up in an age where, you know, the vast majority of Americans who watch local TV do it through satellite cable. The strength of the signal just doesn't matter anyway. And so Pi's role is being very much scrutinized for possible impropriety by the inspector general. And as people were raising questions about whether a couple of the companies that Sinclair was intending to sell some of these local stations to might actually be stalking horses for Sinclair itself, you know, one of the companies, if I'm not mistaken, was founded by a guy with ties to Sinclair and was 92% owned by the mother of the chairman of Sinclair. And another state uh, company they were going to sell station to is owned by Armstrong Williams, the advisor to uh, Ben Carson, the HUD secretary, a longtime conservative commentator, and also 
a former Sinclair employee, you know, there are real questions of whether Sinclair was going to retain control of stations like the big one, WGN, in Chicago. And those were the issues to which Pi pointed. But I think the pressure being brought to bear on Pi himself knew that meant that he knew he was under the microscope for how he would handle this and meant that he decided to give this a much tougher treatment as as it played out this week. Okay, so Pi either has to make it look good or, if you want to put your thumb less on the scale, has to make sure that this merger is cleaner than uh, Caesar's, purer than Caesar's ghost, because he knows that everyone will be looking at it, and he probably or suspects that maybe the Justice Department will one day, if they're going to be consistent, weigh in on it. I don't think the Justice Department is likely to weigh in on it. Usually it's handled either by the FCC or the uh, the Justice Department. Sometimes the Federal Trade Commission weighs in on such things. But, you know, what he's done is referred it to an administrative law judge. And that was done with the approval of a couple other FCC commissioners in a way that means it's been referred. That could well end up tying up this procedure for some time. Sinclair has just in recent hours announced a revision to its plan. It says, well, it won't sell off the Chicago station it's acquiring and it will hold on to it and that way allay any concerns that it's owning it under a veil of deception. Uh, Although it says that Pi and the FCC knew exactly what it was proposing all along and that none of its actions have, have involved subterfuge, that it's been very transparent. In a certain sense, I kind of have sympathy for that point from Sinclair. These two companies that that Pi has suddenly discovered may have some links to Sinclair. Uh, you know, I've known about them for, for more than a decade. I mean, it's uh, it's not that tough to see if you're, you're able to use the Google, you know. <laughs> so Pi seems to have found religion at this moment on this issue. It does seem that unless somehow it is clawed back from this administrative process, it will really depend on how much Sinclair wants this acquisition to go through and how much bureaucratic uh, scrutiny they are willing to put up with and able to endure. One of uh, Pi's predecessors, Julius Janikowski at the FCC, referred a proposed deal in which AT&T would have taken over its competitor, T-Mobile, and referred that similarly to an administrative law judge, and that effectively killed the deal. You know, it just meant that the deal would not go forward. It'll be interesting to see how much Sinclair's proposed shifts in the structuring of this deal, or at least of some of the ensuing uh, spinoffs of stations in this deal, address the specific concerns that Pi raised and offer him either uh, sound substantive justification or enough of a fig leaf to somehow uh, pull the deal back from the brink of defeat and say, ah, it's fine, let's go. Okay, so I understand what you're saying, that Pi is going to make sure that it's double-checked, triple-checked, 3.14 times checked. Do you suspect that uh, he's going to put in all the due diligence, and then once that's done, this plan will go through? Such a good question. Uh, Right at this moment, it's very hard for me to see how Pi is evaluating this deal on its merits. It seemed to me clear that this involves an extraordinary consolidation of ownership uh, in the local TV station industry. And even if, as Sinclair alleged, it, it doesn't mean that in very many markets, it's acquiring more market share in those individual markets. That's not really the way to think about this. It's hard to look at Sinclair as anything other than an ally of the Trump administration. It's hard to look at Pi as anybody other than somebody who's looking at countervailing forces in the Trump administration and also looking at his own situation. And under extreme duress, he has greatly complicated this deal. I don't know that it's clear that he has an endgame insight for how this plays out. I think he's, you know, looking to his own situation and circumstances as well. Well, it does seem complicated. Certainly not 
easy as pie. David Fokaflick is the media correspondent for NPR. David, thank you so much. You bet. And now the spiel. The Trump is servile to Putin plotline. I personally think it's been a lot more fun than the babies in cages plotline. Also, much better than the Muslim ban multi-season arc. And I think I know why. With the Trump as Putin patsy storyline, there is no sympathetic victim to tear your heart out. I mean, who pays the cost of this jaw-dropping spectacle we've been seeing unspooling for the last few days? Is it Putin? No. And anyway, even if it were, who cares? Is it Trump? Kind of, maybe, and that's good. Is it the reputation of America itself? Well, yes, but come on, we've still got a whole lot of money and most of the aircraft carriers and a lot, a lot, a lot of good apps. America will be okay. So the big development today was that Trump said that Russia was no longer a threat to hack our elections. He was asked at the end of a cabinet meeting, hey, is Russia a threat? And he was just like, nope, thanks, nope. (laughs) This despite the fact that five days ago, Dan Coats said this. Today, the digital infrastructure that serves this country is literally under attack. Every day, foreign actors, the worst offenders being Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea, every day they are penetrating our digital infrastructure and conducting a range of cyber intrusions and attacks against targets in the United States. Again, that was Dan Coats, Director of National Intelligence, and here today is Donald Trump, depleter of national intelligence. We're doing very well, uh, probably as well as anybody has ever done with Russia. And there's been no president ever as tough as I have been on Russia. Really? Tougher than Ronald Reagan? MX Missile? SDI? Arming the Mujahideen? B-1 Bomber? Evil Empire? Bring down the wall? Look, a couple of those things were stupid. A couple of them worked pretty well. But Trump is tougher than Reagan? Tougher than Eisenhower? He oversaw the Korean War. During the Korean War, U.S. airmen shot down Russian planes and vice versa. Just saying it was kind of tough. But okay, listen, I'm beginning to think. Here's my theory. Here's my working theory. I'll throw it out there. It's not fully formed. But it might be the case that Donald Trump doesn't tell the whole truth when it comes to Russia. Perhaps he's even misleading us, the American public, about his intentions as they relate to Vladimir Putin. Perhaps that is the case. So what I wanted to do was dig a little deeper into what Mr. Putin was saying about this. So there are theories, so many theories, asking what does Putin have on Donald Trump? Now, this is weird to think that he'd even have to have something, because what every autocrat or dictator has is the very simple fact that Trump likes compliments. Kim had that on Trump. Mohammed bin Salman had that on Trump. Xi had that on Trump. Remember the most delicious piece of cake summit? So just simple flattery can do to this president what shared interests and shared values in the NATO alliance did for past presidents. But maybe there is more. But Putin, a KG former KGB agent, denied that he really had Trump in his pocket during their joint press conference. He was asked this question. Do you, does the Russian government have any compromising material on President Trump or his family? 
And his answer? Well, let's take St. Petersburg Economic Forum, for instance. There were over 500 American businessmen, the high-ranking, the high-level ones. I don't even remember the last names of each and every one of them. Well, do you remember, do you think that we try to collect compromising material on each and every single one of them? Well, it's difficult to imagine uh, another nonsense of a bigger scale than this. Well, please, just disregard these issues and don't think about this anymore again. That, by the way, is not a denial. That was him asking the question, what, would we, a notorious surveillance state known to develop compromising material on powerful people, seek to surveil and compromise powerful people? That's what he was doing there. And the answer to that question, by the way, to quote Kim Philby, Aldrich Ames, Whitaker Chambers, Philip and Elizabeth Jennings is hell yeah. But even more fascinating was Putin's interview later that night with Chris Wallace on Fox. Wallace did a very good job. Let me just play one exchange before we get to the question, is Trump a Russian accent? Here, Putin was asked by Wallace, Mr. Putin, why do so many of your critics wind up dead? Why is it that so many people who were political enemies of Vladimir Putin are attacked? Well, first of all, all of us have plenty of political rivals. I'm pretty sure President Trump has plenty of political rivals. But they don't end up dead. To which Putin responded by pulling out his iPad and firing up this clip from The Godfather. My father's no different than any other powerful man. Any man who's responsible for other people. Like a senator or a president. You know how naive you sound. Why? Senators and presidents don't have men killed. Who's being naive, Kay? Love that part. But then, more to our point, Putin was asked by Wallace, is President Trump so reluctant to criticize you because you have something on him? Here's Putin's answer. I don't want to insult President Trump when I say this, and I may... Come, come as rude. But before he announced that he will run for presidency, he was of no interest for us. He's a, he was a rich person, but, well, there's plenty of rich persons in the United States. He was in the construction business. He organized the beauty pageants. But no, it would never occur to anyone that he would think of running for president. He never mentioned his political ambitions. This is not only not a denial, again, but it's also simply not true. Trump brought his beauty pageant to St. Petersburg in 2013. Two years earlier, he was all over the news equivocating on whether he would run for president. And when I say all over the news, I mean in Russia, on RT, Russia Today, state-funded television. In this case, it was reported by a Russian national. With no obvious frontrunner among Republicans, there is clearly an opening. It is all the more tempting as Obama grapples with a sluggish economy. This is obviously one of the reasons American billionaire Donald Trump may make a run for the White House. He says he will make his intentions known in June. That's Inessa Petrova, Russia Today. Of course Trump was on Putin's radar and possibly in Putin's file. I don't know, but I do know Putin's denials were terrible if they even were denials. So let's figure this out. Why were they so bad? Option one. He's doing a rather poor job of covering up for the fact that he really has the goods on Trump. Uh. Two, he's purposefully advancing these terrible refutations to keep the idea that he does have compromise on Trump alive. 
Three, could be he's an autocrat. He's rarely questioned. And when he is, he doesn't actually have to give compelling answers. So maybe he does think this is a good rebuttal. But what I don't think that he would do under any circumstances is to say, well, I really want to tamp down this speculation. I don't think that's in his interest either way. I really want to tamp down the speculation. And the way I'm going to tamp down the speculation is to assert that I wasn't interested in him before 2013, even though there is tons of information to contradict that. By the way, that clip I played from Russia Today, that wasn't just a brief mention in a newscast. There was a whole half hour show on Donald Donald Trump running for president. And much of that show from 2011 was exactly like what we heard in the United States a couple years later. If he, well, and if he was in any way put through the real Rubicon of, of a presidential campaign, I think he would be eaten alive. Now, of course, by playing these clips, I may have compromised my deep cover as a mole within the RT archives. No, all I did was a simple search on YouTube. And Putin knows these clips are readily available. He knows that all the reasons he gave for not having Trump compromised are as valuable as the ruble or a Trump University degree. Or maybe he just thinks he can lie and get away with it, because that does seem to work for certain world leaders who are in charge of countries that invented freedom of the press. I mean, why wouldn't it work for the leader of a country where media coverage often means a body bag? I do not know what, if anything, Putin has on Trump. I strongly suspect that he wants me and all of us to think the answer is something. And that's it for today's show. Thanks to our Slate Plus listeners who help support the show. If you're not yet a Slate member, learn more about the many, many fantastic benefits of membership at slate.com slash gist plus. Daniel Schrader and Pierre Bienname produced the gist. For that, they earned their daily news podcast that told three Yo Mama jokes yesterday badge. Not to insult Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, but there are many, many people who are executive podcast producer. And what is this podcast? It means nothing to me. The gist. Our responsibility is to serve the Quad City communities, our Pasadena community, our Marianas Trench community. And that's why we invite you to come on, ride this train, this super stock Dodge, this yellow submarine. Um peru de peru du peru, and thanks for listening.